Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Okay, so just before I press record, you said start recording because you had some big reveal. I have a reveal for you. I, I said I have not been keeping a secret. It's just that I haven't thought to tell you at the time when we were together. But several months ago, I got an email uh-huh. from Michael Morewood. Oh, how's he? And Michael said that he and Maria were coming to the United States to take a road trip from L.A. to Rhode Island. Wow. And he said, I would like to come to Houston to visit you. I do not want to teach. I do not want to meet with other people. I just would like to come and visit with you. Whoa. So they're coming this Friday. Oh, my goodness. Can I? They're going to be our house guests. Oh, that's wonderful. Would you please give him my best and... Yeah. Maybe I'll I show would. up as the pizza delivery guy and just sneak in you a hug. Show up. <laughs> oh, that's well, I sent him a, I sent him an email this morning asking how their trip was going and what their ETA was. And he had sent me an email I guess about two, three weeks ago saying that their trip insurance mm-hmm. cost as much as their airfare. Oh my goodness. Wow. I wonder if with like with COVID and all of the things around the world. Yeah. You know, Sherry and I are going to England in two months. Oh, I had no idea. That's great. Wow. Yeah. I've taken a job over there. Oh, I'm teaching you. Mm-hmm. You tried I that one on me when I told you <laughs> I was taking a church in Scotland. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I, I was like heartbroken for about 13 hours. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The, the St. Paul's Choir is going to uh, right. a church in England, Chile, and um, when Sherry was still singing the choir, which she's now resigned. Mm-hmm. from doing we made plans to go so we're gonna go with the choir and that's right that'll be good i forgot yeah, our first travel since uh since covid you know we were scheduled to go to switzerland mm-hmm. and then covid hit so yeah yeah they would do that next year that definitely happened around the world that ecuador was my first kind of non-road trip other than maybe a visit or two to my sister. Um, did you uh, did you get trip insurance? I did not. Uh, well, maybe that, you know, I didn't coordinate the tickets. So maybe the guy who coordinated our tickets and the whole trip did get trip insurance. I don't know, but I didn't individually get it. Well, we are required, I think, to have it, or maybe it's just a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the more expensive it is. So. Uh-huh. Hmm. I need to investigate doing that. That's interesting. Huh. Who knew? You don't need it till you need it. 
it makes right. it hard to kind of justify those things. Um, okay, well, how are you and what's going on? What's on our minds this week? Uh, that's my question to ask you. Mm. I think what's going yeah. on with me is I'm just doing my thing, trying yeah. to stay out of trouble. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, although I kind of want to um, find a band of people that can make good trouble with us and that I'd be okay spending a night in jail with. So um, that's what, what's... What, what are you going to jail for? Uh, you know, any number of things that I could protest in this state alone. <laughs> Um, right. it's, um, I have to say, I, I, I'm just in a lot of despair. I guess there's sort of this macro feeling. I'm in a lot of despair about what's going on in the kind of, um, exterior world. Um, it really feels like an attack on, it feels like an attacks on sovereignty. It feels like an attack on dignity. It feels like an attack on equity. Um, what's happening right now, and um, and I'm talking about abortion laws, trans rights being revoked, voting rights being stripped, um, education being attacked for being too liberal, and you know, I mean, it just is. It just feels like at every level where we have opportunities to grow, that there is um, there's a stop being put in place. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I actually feel um, deep concern that this particular state doesn't feel extremely safe to my family. Mm -hmm. With the gun laws, as crazy as they are, there was an article that I read that I think I sent to you that said, you know, the radicals are not going to stop at abortion. That's just a kind of linchpin, right? That's just the, the, the grab that they're going all the way through uh, marriage equity. Uh, I already mentioned trans rights and our racial marriage. I mean, it's like, wow, <laughs> how far back mm -hmm. do we want to roll the calendar, you know? Mm -hmm. So. So I mentioned to you yesterday, and we did not have a chance to process this mm -hmm. like I really would like to do, mm -hmm. that I had an almost two hour meeting this Monday with my spiritual director. And um, I would say several things about her. She is a part of the cynical order in the mm -hmm. Roman Catholic um, tradition. The cynical order is a, um, an order devoted strictly to spiritual direction individually and group teaching, mm -hmm. um, the order has been growing smaller mm -hmm. in the states over the last number of years because there is not a crop of young religious men or women who are mm -hmm. entering religious orders in the United States. In other parts of the world, that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, I think I mentioned to you some time ago when we took our last pilgrimage with Peter Sills and we went to all of these abbeys and monasteries, they, they were really lively and full of young mm. men and young women, um, which is really astounding because in our first experience, we'd gone to monasteries and abbeys and it's just been a few 
really relics of people in them, but this, mm. this is different. Anyway, this uh, woman is um, a certified union analyst. She is an expert in the Enneagram. She is incredibly familiar with Buddhist teachings mm -hmm. and um, um, one of the books that she's requiring or has been requiring the last several years of her directees is a book by um, the woman who wrote The Grace and Dying. Oh. It's called Un Unbinding. Mm -hmm. Have you read it? Uh, when I was in seminary and we were given really, 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 really hard books to read, sometimes students would hold them out in front of them and look at the TV and said, well, I kind of watched over it. I read over it or something like that. So <laughs> it's a hard book. It is a hard book mm. to read. Not that it's written in a foreign language or something it's just hard to get your mind around the concept it's kathleen singh just to kathleen singh. put that her the yeah. author's name out right. um yeah i was blocking on her name what my director says is because she's so committed to these mm. to both union perspectives and to her buddhist perspective is that everything that comes to us is here in our lives for a lesson and we can greet what comes to us with um, the energy of what does this have to teach me? Life is difficult. We grow, get sick and die kind of difficult. And we can see what it has to teach me. And then how on a practical, not that that isn't practical, but on a more materialistic, logistical level, how can I greet what's going on? without engaging in oppositional energy and letting it make me angry, upset, fearful, mm -hmm. and all that. Right. You know, it, it, I had a conversation yesterday, not with your spiritual director, but with someone else who I uh, love and admire, John Watson. Um, and, you know, it, it is, it is, I think, one of the things that a thread of the conversation that we had was speaking truth without reaction, speaking truth without attachment to outcome, right? Um, so there is that part of it that is not engaging with oppositional energy so that it doesn't eat you from the inside out or from the outside in, but that you can still be in integrity with what is true mm -hmm. for you, for your experience. Um, and, and I think that balance is a delicate one, right? Because sometimes our truths are at odds with one another. And how do we hold space? You call it emotional judo for both people's truths, for both people's dignity to operate within uh, a, a closed space or an open space. But you know, Diana Butler Bass and I said this Sunday in class has acknowledged that the fundamentalists have won. All right, it's a, yeah. the battle done. And so mm -hmm. those of us who are not on the side of restricting abortion and cutting down voter rights and being actively racist, um, we still have a solemn obligation in the places where we live out our lives to speak the truth and to seek freedom for ourselves and other people. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. 
what we have to do. And I, I think, you know, there are models for this. Uh, Nelson Mandela would be a model. Ruthie King Jr. would be a model. The Dalai Lama is a model. Thich Nhat Hanh is a model. I don't think of anybody right now in our current society who comes to the forefront for me as being one of those characters. I wish we had somebody. Mm. You know, I guess I think that so much of that is community dependent and um, that's where the wisdom of fractals uh, comes in and inspires me. You know, fractals are small aspects of the mathematical and natural world that repeat, right? They, what, and they repeat and sometimes in escalating sizes, sometimes at the same size to make a grand whole. And I'm, what I'm finding so inspiring is the layers of community activism, the fractals that are happening that are specific to place and time and space, right? Um, within specific communities. And I do believe that that's happening uh, all around the country are these very, um, you almost might call them abolitionist cells or something like that, right? That that um, stops on the Underground Railroad, you know, that kind of make the whole, um, these fractals that repeat on the small scale. And, you know, I, I do think the fundamentalists have won the moment. I, I think that's just the reality I have to accept right now. Um, there's no use in saying, oh, but it's not that bad. It actually is. It actually is bad right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and yet I, I think that to hold on to any aspect of hope, we have to participate in those fractals, those small cells of freedom, truth, mm -hmm. and love, mm -hmm. where we can. Yep. Yeah. We, I agree with you. We have to keep this on the front burner and to say things about it. I, I, I don't watch the news anymore. And I mean, mm -hmm. that's not entirely true because it's sort of <laughs> impossible in our culture not to be exposed to it. When I go work mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. at my athletic facility, there are TVs all around the big screens and they turn to Fox and MSNBC and the local news and all that. So it's kind of impossible not to get exposed to it. But um, yeah. from, from what I read in the news feeds that I trust, that I get. Um, see, Roe versus Wade turnover is just the first in what far right wing people want to accomplish. Yeah. And I, yeah. that's really, really scary to me. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, a threat to my livelihood. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, interracial marriage is on their docket. Yeah. It's a threat to people we love's livelihood who are in same-sex marriage. You know, these are, uh, you know, there are, there are pins poised in the air waiting to sign a complete ban on abortion once Roe is overturned. Mm -hmm. I do not understand that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't, I think this, the, I was talking to a really great friend yesterday and it's not even worth to me getting into a political battle about pro-life, pro-choice, conservative, liberal in that way. I mean, I can't make this true, but in my opinion, abortion is not a political issue at all. It's a psychological, spiritual, deeply personal and health issue. 
And that's where it needs to be kept is on the level of providing individual care, providing systems of care for women who, for whatever reason, choose it. And I, and I just, I think that's the first mistake we made is making this a legal issue when in fact, what it needs to be is a wraparound issue. And you know, my, I think the best argument when, you, when someone says, uh, was so hyper-focused on the life, let's say of a fetus is, well, what are you doing about the whole life? What are you doing about the life and the health of the mother before and after? What are you doing about the life and the health of the child throughout? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you doing about gun control that is a threat to some people's well-being and livelihood? You know, what are you doing about other ways that celebrate um, life and dignity? You know, and I think, unfortunately, so often that argument stops just at this sort of um, life of the fetus, you know? And, and that's just not a holistic picture. It's not a holistic picture of what life is. Well, I, I, would, I would like to bring up three things about this that uh, I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but it, <laughs> it's three thing, at least three things that are just so grating on what I'm now calling this new trinity of love, honesty, or truth. Those are different, I think, mm -hmm. but we can get into talking yeah. about that and freedom. Um, for one thing, the, the five justices on the Supreme Court who are going to be responsible for overturning this absolutely lied in their confirmation mm -hmm. hearings. They lied. There's no other word about mm -hmm. that. That's a model for our young people. That's what we want to hold up, mm -hmm. that the leadership mm -hmm. can lie in order to get what they want. That's, that's one of the things that's a huge thing for me. Second thing, if any of those five justices had a daughter or a granddaughter who was raped, they would make provision somehow, and they have the resources to do it, to get that young woman an abortion. Right, And the people who are disadvantaged by this decision, as you well know, are people of color and people of low income who cannot afford yep. to take advantage of things that people in the yep. upper crust can do. The third thing yep. that just galls me to no end, and I did mention this to you, is that back during the pandemic, when the people on the right were saying, we don't want to get vaccinated. You can't make us wear masks. Our bodies, our choices. Yep. That was the thing that they were saying. Yeah. And now when women are saying, but our bodies, our choices, those in power say, tough luck. Mm -hmm. It's just so hypocritical. Yeah, it absolutely is. I, I, I'm amazed at how much of this hinges on our attitudes about sex. And, and, and sexuality, you know, we have such primitive, narrow puritanical attitudes about sex in general in this culture. You know, um, we wanna make abortion illegal, but not have free birth control or not have readily accessible birth control. It's, it's it, and I mean, it, it's about sex. It's so much about our attitudes toward human sexuality. Okay, all right, and, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure that I'm the one to do this. We might have to get somebody else to join us. But I, we talked yesterday about your teaching next week. Mm 
co-teaching with me? Not just coming Sunday. Next week or the week after? The week after that. Yeah. You want to talk about human mm-hmm. sexuality? We sure can. <laughs> well, you can. I'm not sure I'm qualified to do that. Um, mm. I can remember Matt Russell saying two years ago that he would welcome mm-hmm. being able to have a conversation mm-hmm. in the church about human sexuality. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, I am. I don't know if he'll do it. I doubt yeah. he will. He may already have an obligation on Sunday, yeah, he actually. Does have an obligation. He might um, want he might yeah. not be wanting to do that anyway, but you think of somebody yeah. that we might ask to join us in that conversation? <sighs> I know yeah. I'm putting you on the we spot right now, but think either. about that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll think about and if not in two weeks, maybe sometime after that, we can have a little time to sort of gather gather um, some folks around it. I mean, it is, you know, and in, in more than anything, it, it hinges specifically on women's sexuality and women's um, sensuality, if you will. You know, so it is a conversation that needs to be had. Absolutely. How did the Christian movement become about no sex before marriage and that being the most important law to uphold, you know, <laughs> or oath rather, but I'm not, again, I'm, I'm going to explain, this is not my area of expertise, but I would love it if we could field a panel of two or three people to join us, if that's okay with yeah. you. To... Yeah, let's, I mean, let's put our, our, our heads together and think through it. I think that that would be a rich conversation and one that sorely needs to be had. Right. So, Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, your question about where this whole business came from, um, I'll do some research on this, but I think one of the most obscene, useless dogmas of the church, now when I say the church, I'm meaning the church as it was shaped by Constantine in the fourth century until the Reformation, was this crazy stuff about celibacy and mm-hmm. all of that, which is never adhered to, by the way. <laughs> yeah. People are, yeah. are shocked to learn that there have been many popes who were married and had mistresses. And so. Yeah, you, you were mentioning the cynical. Um, it's interesting. I was just in a sort of study group with a few people in which we each investigated a monastery. In, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, the one I'm investigated has very few people and it's all oriented around uh, prison ministry and um, spiritual direction to, to pr- people in prison. Mm. And it's beautiful. Um, but there, and, and that monastery is co-ed. Uh, the woman who started it has children, was married. I don't know if her spouse died, if they got divorced and she sort of had a life change or not, but there is another monastery in the one that we, um, the ones that we um, uh, researched. And I think this one is in Austin and I can't remember the name of it and which any person can join. So it's kind of a, a monastery made of lay people who are committed to justice kindness and love in the world and enacting some form of social change. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we were talking about is what is the role of lay people to do monastic work in the sense that um, if monastic work is about bringing more to use your trilogy, um, truth, love, and freedom, 
into the world, then can we not all participate in that? Mm-hmm. You know, there is, I, I read um, Brian McLaren's book as, as his spiritual trip to the Galapagos. And he, he sort of poses at one point, it, it seems that we think that religion has been around to teach humans how to be more godlike. But maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe the purpose of religion is to teach humans to be more human and to really embrace the fullness of our humanity with some kind of guiding values, some kind of guiding community, some kind of guiding ethics that, in my opinion, need to be as inclusive and equitable as possible. You know, it, it, it's, I, I really loved that point. Maybe we've gotten it wrong the whole time. <laughs> well, when, Religion isn't about, as you say, out there. It's what are we doing right here? Yeah, I, I think you know? that, that that, I have not read that particular Brian McLaren book, but he's, <laughs> he's really echoing what Ken Wilber says about when religion is functioning at its healthiest. Mm-hmm. I think that there have been tons of evidence historically that much of religion has not functioned at a healthy level. And so that religion has been mostly interested in control and dominance. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. certainly Mm -hmm. in our culture, what you see happening where evangelical, white evangelical religion is taking over, that's exactly what's happening. We're in control, Mm -hmm. we're dominant, and it's a white male, powerful the rest of you folks can take a back seat and that includes women and people of color and people in low educational economic status yeah well if religion is a product of society that's the way societies have gone is if, if this pendulum swings between um collaboration and domination we've swung so far over to domination you know, to the point of becoming autocratic or oligarchic in, in our societies. And so religion as part of societies is going to maintain that too. That, that and, and who knows, you know, it's chicken and egg question, right? Which came first. But, um, but I think that because we have created largely dominant structures in societies, our religion is going to reflect that too, mm-hmm. you know? Well, um, uh, you know, I just had this thought that at times when religion has been at its most corrupt Mm -hmm. in human history, there have been people like Benedict who withdrew Mm -hmm. from the culture and formed these communities where people were honestly devoted to Mm -hmm. wanting to be more spiritual and prayerful and do good works and all the things that, for example, we would say Thomas Merton was all about in our time. Mm And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. those movements have had a tremendous impact on human history, you know, a positive impact. It didn't happen immediately, but they did happen. I just finished reading in uh, Tricycle, one of the Buddhist journals, I take an article in honor of Thich Nhat Hanh, who died last year. Mm -hmm. And it talks about his trips to the United States and how he and Thomas Merton got together at Gethsemane and how Merton said about Thich Nhat Hanh, this guy gets it and he's already advanced as any American monk I've ever seen. So mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm, there you mm-hmm. go. 
well, maybe those places are, are fractals, right? And that that's, that's what's, and there is um, a growing field. And then actually at this institution where I'm getting my PhD, it is a field of study is spiritual activism. So again, how do we sort of, you know, monasteries, we have this kind of idea that they're closed, they're cloistered, they are um, a, a community of a few. But when we open the doors of the monastery, and people go out into the world to perform spiritual activism, right? Then the monastery becomes everywhere. The monastery is the world. And that's what I think Jesus taught us. You know, your, your temple is the world. Mm-hmm. Get out, get out of the synagogue. You know, <laughs> you, know? You, you have reminded yeah. me, I'm going to try my best to make a contact with a woman that I saw for spiritual direction when we were in the office on the West Loop, so that's been mm-hmm. a long oh time gosh. ago. Yeah. And our work was that she was a professional in the mm-hmm. medical center. Mm. And her discernment was she went away to enter a monastery. Mm. She, well, wow. um, a religious order in um, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, I believe. I'm going to try and see if I can I stay in touch with that, that, that group of women. I, mean, I think yeah. they call themselves a monastery. So I get an email from yeah. them. I'm going to see if I can find Yeah. So well, I, I, yeah. will you try to find somebody for two weeks from now that we can? Yeah, I need to put my mind to it and see if there's someone who just jumps out at me. It'd be awesome to have Matt Russell there, but I just assuming he's probably teaching or preaching <laughs> something that day. How about one um, of the Kardashians? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I'll just call them. Um, I I was gonna say I so I'm pretty positive. I haven't done it yet that I'm gonna apply for a spiritual direction program in the fall that will you know take me from there. Um, and and I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it as a possibility. You know, I seem to be sort of like amassing these. Where, what do you where want are you going to apply? I think to the Chaplaincy Institute. I've, I've talked to uh, Stephanie Warfield about it. Um, I've talked to someone on the phone about it from there. I really like that, a, that an aspect of their program is how, who are we in the world? How are we attending to issues of justice? Mm-hmm. How are we attending to inclusion? Um, and it's interfaith. And that seems to me for my personal interest, the, the wisest course of action is to, um, to pursue an interfaith spiritual direction model. Well, I would love to be a moderator observer in two mm-hmm. weeks. Uh, <laughs> I love that you're just, you're just gonna keep dropping that in. <laughs> well, it is not my area yeah. of expertise. I feel like, mm. I would have very little to offer to the conversation, I, but we can talk more about it. But I am excited about the prospect of doing. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts jump in my mind. I'll mention them off the air, but okay. Yeah. Well, this has been yeah. fun. <laughs> you knew we were going to talk about sex. <laughs> oh, sexuality. Well, it's also very, right. very, very, very relevant for what's happening in the Methodist Church. Oh, for sure. I know we need to go, but I just want to mm-hmm. raise this incredible, to me, piece of irony. 
The United Methodist Church is on the verge of a major global split. Mm -hmm. The global Methodist Church has already got its book of discipline in and the, the, the wheels are in motion. And at this coming annual conference over Memorial Day for the Texas Annual Conference, there was supposed to be a vote about disaffiliation. I think now the Supreme Court in the Methodist Church has ruled that can't happen, but I'm, I may be speaking out of turn. But mm -hmm. the whole division is about the, the full inclusion of all people at all levels in the Methodist Church. It started with mm -hmm. a freedom to ordain gays and lesbians and to perform same-sex mm -hmm. marriage, but it expanded to what it should be, full inclusion, right? And now, as you say, the pen is poised, maybe to take that away. And if that's yeah. the case, the church will be splitting over nothing. Yeah. It's so nuts. It's nuts. That's a good way to it, put and it. And that, again, like the sexuality piece is just the linchpin. If you, if you're, if you can't do the hot, if you're, you know, you pick the hot topics to divide over. And if you won't address the hot topics, if you won't engage in conflict in that way, then you're not engaging in conflict in any other way either. You're not doing racial rep reparation. You're not doing poverty. You're not doing, you know, you're not doing community well-being. You're not doing mental health for all. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just the linchpin. So where does it stop? That's, <laughs> you know. Yep. On that note. <laughs> well, stay tuned. Stay tuned. The world may change by next Wednesday. Well, the world is changing. And, and it, yeah. it's, it, you know, I think I will stick to my, my position about not, not embracing labels or not putting a label on because they're all traps. But mm -hmm. um, we're moving into a place that is not fair, just, wise, and useful for all people. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, we'll keep working on it. All right. <laughs> See you later. See you.